Hi, kids. Let's learn about words. You keep using the word. I do not think it means what you think it means. What does it all mean, Basil? At last, we're going to have a dialogue about the power of words. Discussion of a language. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? I learned that you should choose your words carefully. That's what counts. Far, far more complex. Well, by God, I got a couple of words for you. The quality of your words. We all know where to find the meaning of a word. A dictionary. The consummate repository of cut and dry definitions for all, quote, certified words. The truth is, however, that most words can hold many meanings, depending on situation, culture, generation, and perspective. Don't tell me words don't matter. Because our words have creative power. On Open to Interpretation, host Amy Young is joined by PLU faculty and educators from different academic disciplines to consider a single word commonly used in the news, on social media, and on college campuses. What did you say? Whatever I feel like I want to say. Sometimes for a moment I can't say anything. Through debate and dialogue, Open to Interpretation reminds us that rarely, if ever, can a word's meaning be reduced to a single understanding. It ain't the word! It's the context in which the word is said. To get a great job in this economy, you need to have strong language. Well, I think that's a super philosophy, Sean. And now, here's Dr. Amy Young. Welcome to Open to Interpretation. I'm Amy Young, Associate Professor of Communication at Pacific Lutheran University, and joining me today are my guests, Jennifer Smith, Director of the PLU Women's Center, Women's and Gender Studies faculty member and International Honors faculty member, and Mary Ellard Ivey, Associate Professor of Biology. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. I'm glad to have you here. On this, we try to start out with some warm-up questions so that we can get a little looser before we get into our word of the day, which tends to be a more serious conversation. I'm going to ask you, worst or most ridiculous movie or television show you've seen this year? Jen? This is embarrassing. Uh, I have to admit, I've seen, I watched last night again. It is Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Did you read the books? Um, I did not read the books. No, I couldn't. I couldn't bring myself to to do that necessarily. But uh, uh, some other uh, friends and I went to see it when it was released. I guess around spring break this past February, and were appalled by it so much so that we didn't even go out for drinks afterward. We were like all pumped up to like you know have dinner beforehand, watch girls this movie, night. girls night, right? Go have drinks afterward. We were so disgusted that we were like just forget, just go out. But somehow I found myself sucked into it last night on HBO. Is um, it better the second time? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it might be actually. I found myself oddly drawn to um, to it again, and I don't know if it's sort of like you're watching a car accident and you think, "Oh my goodness," and you just can't look away, or what it is about it. But there's something about really terrible films like Fifty Shades of Grey that I tend to enjoy some. Good. Know, that yeah, that would be my entry for that. Okay, competition. Mary, so was that this year? Yeah, it was February. Okay. Well, just any time well, this year. Okay, it doesn't have to be this released this year. Okay, because I really <laughs> very low at TV watching output. Now, it's not that I'm sort of reading or watching scholarly material all the time. I waste tons of time on the Internet, but um, very little TV. In the last year, I'm a Downton Abbey fan. Oh, I love Downton Abbey. Yeah. And, I, and it hasn't gotten too corny for yeah. me. And I, you know, my husband's kind of stopped watching it because <laughs> he says it's gotten kind of ridiculous. But I still love it. And Oh, it's yeah. a soap opera, but it's so great. Yeah. I mean, the I first mean, season, what, had Pamuk die in mm-hmm. Lady Mary's bedroom? 
I'm like, yeah. how could it get any more silly than that? Yeah, so, it yeah. was. It's it's fantastic. I love it. You know, there's a Downton Abbey tea party happening next Sunday, a really? virtual tea party, oh, nice. where people are going to get together and have Downton Abbey tea, which is one of my favorite things to do. And <laughs> yeah, of so that's course. made that pop into my head actually. I think that's kind of that's much more respectable than I think Fifty Shades of Grey. So. Yeah, well, I'm I'm not sure I might beat you. So um, the worst one I've seen. Well, it's actually worse. It's literally so terrible that it's awesome. Which is The Room. And I don't know if anybody has seen this film. It was a film that was made in the early 2000s and is quite literally billed as the worst movie I have seen this. ever made. I have seen this. And yeah. it's supposed to be this dramatic, romantic film, mm-hmm. but it is just so bad. Yep. That it's great. So now it's become this sort of cult film Did where. Did you see it in the theater? Because I've had seen it in the theater. It. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, nice. Okay, favorite local restaurant, Mary. Oh, that's easy. Iswas Cafe. I was so upset when they closed at um, at the Tacoma Mall. Oh but, yeah, uh, Iswas Cafe mm-hmm. on Proctor. And Proctor. Kind of a joke in our house. Yeah, love that. Always order the same things. That's sad. No, that's not. No, it's like my comfort. <laughs> Sometimes I go there to like yeah. grade actually grade oh. capstones. Uh huh. East West Cafe and capstones a great way to knock them out. Okay, excellent. Top of Tacoma. Uh, I just uh, love it. Great food, great beer, uh, great atmosphere. Okay. I yeah, I just love mind. it. It's really, it's really fantastic. What We've actually had staff meetings and staff quote unquote retreats at the Top of Tacoma. Um, it's I would say upscale bar food. Is that mm-hmm. fair yeah. to say? They've yeah. got a good variety of things from sandwiches and salads and. Their brunches are excellent. Um, yeah, it's really great. You know, they're opening a place in Proctor. Same people. Oh, they are. Mm-hmm. Oh. Peaks and Pints. Really? Mm-hmm. Ooh, nice. It's going to be a gastro pub. Now that we've warmed up a little bit, in this podcast, what we try to do is we try to take a word that is prominent in public discourse or on social media or on campus or all three and but a word that has meanings that are varied or layered uh, or diverse and we try to kind of tease that out so you all have been gracious enough to come and talk about the word gender and actually the reason that we picked gender is because every year at Halloween I get on a high horse about costumes because I have a nine-year-old daughter and a six-year-old son. And my nine-year-old daughter, my six-year-old son, I should say, has his choice of all kinds of wonderful things Mm -hmm. that he can be that are very positive and sort of (laughs) pro-social costumes. Mm -hmm. My daughter has the sexy version of those or the pink version of them or the somehow not quite sort of downgraded... B-side, derivative (laughs) Derivative version of the superhero or the firefighter Mm -hmm. or the doctor or whatever. It doesn't, of course, get any better (laughs) for women. It's even... For some, they might say it gets better. (laughs) Well, for some, they might say it gets better. And and sexy mustard or whatever. Sexy mustard. Yeah, those exist. Sexy mustard might be my my, uh, band name if I ever create (laughs) one. And so I thought this is a word that people use synonymously with a lot of others. Mm -hmm. And it's a word that means different things to different people. And so I'm kind of glad, too, we have, 
in terms of representation of expertise, a wide variety in here. We do. We have a yeah. lot of great juxtaposition. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited. We do. We're going to triangulate gender. I want to start out with kind of a nature nurture question, because I think that might be an interesting thing to think about with the three of us. And that is, is gender something that is hardwired? Is it something that is genetic? Or is it socially constructed? Or is it some combination of those things? What a cool question, because, you know, you're really right. It is so multilayered in definitions. Biologists do not know what the hell to do with it, right? With gender? Yeah. yeah. They, they do not know what to do with the word. And um, uh, I, would, I would say that it is... By by its my understanding and how I present it is it is by definition not biologically determined. It's it's a function of mm -hmm. your interaction with society, um, a function of so many different things that we couldn't even begin to uh, tease apart, and that they do interact with biological factors. But uh, I would say that in my mind, it is most definitely a social construct. That's my understanding of it. That's interesting. And that's yeah. why in biology, I try not to use, I don't use it in mm. biology. I don't think it has interesting. a, I don't think it has a biological, a good biological definition. <laughs> we don't, we tend not to use it because uh, it's confusing. I mean, interesting. you know, I've, I've, you know, commented to, you know, when I hear what I believe is misuse, like, I don't think if you're dissecting cats or cadaver, I don't think you can assign them a gender because you can't ask them. They're dead. Right. Right. So, <laughs> so it's how do you identify? <laughs> yeah, huh. yeah. As opposed to what are you? E exactly, yeah. Okay. And there was a, you know, do you know, did you know about this that you called this podcast for this week? There was a paper in a very prestigious journal, PNAS, this uh -huh. week, where they characterized by MRI brains a very, I think they had like a sample size of like 1,800. And the big result <laughs> was that... Um, Sex, when looking at brain structure, couldn't be, couldn't be differentiated. It wasn't what we call sexually dimorphic. You couldn't say that's a male brain, that's a female brain. Wow. No, yeah. I didn't know that. It's but... really intriguing. And so my question for you guys, because that's part of the whole nature-nurture thing, is should the authors be using the term gender there? In describing the brains? Or... Yeah, when they were, they were studying brains, they were studying structural features of the brain um, by MRI analysis, mm -hmm. so I actually don't understand MRIs that well. But um, well, yeah. to me, that's you know, sex. It's the sort of biological definition. I just think it's fascinating that you don't use the word because it doesn't have a biological right. basis. That surprised me too, because I my I wondered if students come into like a biology class and you start talking about sexual dimorphism, if they are looking to you as a biologist to sort of settle the question of what gender is um, mm -hmm. and, yeah, how you confront that. Because in my courses, I think most students who take those courses, I think the vast majority of them sort of self-select for them. The only mm -hmm. exception would probably be the introduction of women's and gender studies course where I have more students who are there for the um, gen ed alternative perspectives. Um, they, they already they get that gender as a construction, which has changed in the 10 years that I've been teaching at PLU. Really? Um, yeah. Um, in terms of students. Do you think people come in more well-versed in I that? I think they're a little, a little more savvy about gender being a construction. There's, I find that I have to do less separation between gender and sex. And then what I actually end up doing in uh, more advanced classes is mushing the two together 
to argue that in many ways sex is socially constructed as well. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so they're more prepared for that conversation um, in terms of kind of complicating sex is socially constructed um, than they were 10 years ago because they've already gotten the idea that gender is socially constructed. Um, See, I would argue that like sex has a very precise biological definition. Okay. You know, it's like in organisms that show sexual dimorphism, we define the male very specifically mm -hmm. as being the one that makes the gamete. That's the thing that's going to fuse. So right. You have sex as the one that makes the one that moves. And that's whether you're a plant or a moss. Mm -hmm. And we do, we differentiate between um, chromosomal sex and physiological sex. Uh, uh, and, and we understand that those can become uncoupled. So sex can be assessed at different biological levels. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, when we get to gender, then it becomes uh, we can't determine it by biology. We can't determine it by looking. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's like a fair way to parse it as a biologist presenting mechanisms of sex determination? As a non-biologist, not presenting mechanisms of sex determination, yeah. I think that part of what we're getting at is is this notion that gender and sex and even sexual orientation mm -hmm. are often used synonymously mm -hmm. and not by people necessarily in this room, but yeah. in public sphere, popular press, other kinds of treatments of gender conflate very often gender with sex or gender with sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. What are the differences between those terms? Is it problematic, for instance, that they get conflated mm -hmm. or treated as synonymous? And mm -hmm. I'm sure not in scholarship. I'm mm -hmm. talking more broadly used or colloquial usages of mm -hmm. word of the word. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. would imagine it's I mean, it's very problematic. Right. I, I, you know, I remember my parents who would have, you know, grown up in a very different environment than I did. They would have grown up in a very small Catholic country. They didn't encounter diverse diversity very much. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I remember them being really confused upon meeting my uh, a, a friend of mine who was homosexual and being really confused with the whole idea of transgender mm -hmm. versus sexual orientation. And I, I remember trying to explain that to them. To their credit, they were willing to be. Yeah. Well, and it is a problem. Yeah. I think that's interesting that you bring up transgender because part of the reason I was interested in, in this question of the use of sex, gender, and sexual orientation as almost synonymous is because of the amount of press that Caitlyn Jenner right. has been receiving. And I was on a girls' weekend and people were talking about it. And it was, I think there's just a lot of confusion as to what that means. Not what transgender means, but what the differences are between your gender and your sexual orientation mm -hmm. and your sex. Right. Yeah. And I think in general, when we're, you know, when we're starting to sort of tease the three apart, sex is biology, gender is social construction. And so um, in the 80s and 90s, uh, women's and uh, gender studies would use the metaphor of uh, sex being the hanger. Um, so that's your body. And then gender being the clothes that you would hang on that mm -hmm. hanger. So the identity okay. that you adopt. Right, right. Um, and then, and that could be sort of matched to your sex. So if you're identified as male, then you hang a masculine garb on your hanger, if you will. 
Um, and if you're female, you may hang um, a feminine garb. But that also leaves opportunities to hang whatever sort of outfit you want on that particular hanger. Um, and then sexual orientation being removed Is from the that. jewelry? Could be. Could be the jewelry. Yeah, it could be. Um, could be the jewelry. Um, uh, sexual orientation being um, sort of the direction of your erotic, intimate desires, um, wherever that might go or what that might be. And that's not necessarily always directed at another person. Um, there are plenty of sexual orientations that are not sort of people specific in that sense. The as women's studies has evolved and kind of integrated uh, sort of more postmodern theory into it, they've complicated the idea of the hanger being the stable and sex being the stable category um, because people found, theorists have found that, well, if that's stable, then how do we complicate the idea of masculine and feminine being attached to it? And so a lot of theorists think about sex as being socially constructed in the sense of how do we know material outside of culture? So how do we know that a penis is attached to a male? How do we know that ovaries are attached to female? What makes that the primary form of categorization and really questioning what that is? Um, and so looking at another metaphor that's often used in describing the difference or the relationship between sex and gender is the idea of the Mobius strip and that um, the Mobius strip being this piece of paper that you kind of twist into the spiral and that if right. you kind of circulate in and out, you're always simultaneously inside and outside of it. And so sex and gender are like that. They're not necessarily separated from each other, but that doesn't mean that sex equals gender in the sense that male equals masculine or female equals feminine, but that because we can't get at what sex is outside of culture, it's also culturally constructed, or at least how it's understood is culturally constructed. Um, right. And that, you know, and, that, and that's to me, that's like a different view than, you know, having a biological definition is sort of a working definition mm -hmm. for us to do its work. And that's kind of different than how it interacts with society. But I love the hanger mm -hmm. analogy. That's really great. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah. Um, since you bring up Caitlyn Jenner, I was thinking mm -hmm. as you were talking, Amy, you said um, it. I th are people confused around the relationship between transgender and sexual orientation? And the first thing I thought about is people are being horrible to her. And are, are you being generous by uh, <laughs> saying it's because people are confused? And mm -hmm. do you think if we edu if people are more educated, it might? I've just seen so many examples on social media of people being absolutely horrible to this woman. Like what? What are some of the things that you've seen? Just saying. Um, just making fun of her yeah. um just i mean i couldn't even go into it just making fun in the worst possible way and um well speaking of costumes she was uh, a halloween costume um there well, was the yeah. Jenner halloween costume well there's yeah. one example oh, that's of being upsetting. absolutely yeah. horrible as though being transgender is a costume so i just yeah. i'm just wondering i mean would understanding the relationship between understanding the phenomena better mm -hmm. would that well, would makes, that help these it makes people? me wonder if you know if over the last 10 years people start showing up at 18 or 19 years old in women's and gender studies classrooms knowing that gender is a social construct mm -hmm. could they also if if this is something that is more commonly seen and not codified really but but people sort of begin to recognize that that is an actual thing mm -hmm. Uh, and it isn't just someone who wakes up one day and says, oh, a t I just feel like I'm, I've always right. been supposed to be a man. <laughs> right. So I'm just going to yeah. go be a man now. Right. Um, as if that is what is happening with someone like K. 
Caitlyn Jenner. It is a sort of interesting because I read, I don't know if you've ever read this book called She's Not There. Yes. Yep. The author is named Jennifer Finney Boylan, and she used to be James. She was uh, mm -hmm. raised as a man, uh, a boy and a man, and uh, has gone through gender reassignment and has now been living as um, Jennifer for the last 20 years, mm -hmm. probably. And she's a faculty member at Colby College. And she was talking about when she was going through her reassignment surgery that her doctor had said, you may find yourself becoming more attracted to men. <laughs> really? Yes. And she said, well, that's not possible. I've been attracted to women right. all my life, right? Because again, my sex, my gender, my sexual orientation don't have to right. sort of line up in this neat way that we think. In this neat sexual way. Right. That's right. the assumption that because she'll, she's female or female body now that somehow her direction will be so quote unquote opposite. But she found that it was true. Interesting. And I don't <laughs> know if, I don't know if that's a hormonal thing or if it's <laughs> a cultural thing of occupying a woman's body or the, right. uh, having your body match right. your brain in this case uh for her right so what i so i think i think transgender mm -hmm. is difficult for people i'm not excusing anyone for being cruel to people but i think it's mm -hmm. it's difficult because we have these conflated understandings right. that right. someone's biological sex and their gender and their sexual orientation ought to make sense right in some I, really identifiable and sort of hegemonic way right see in my view that's a simplistic view of biology i think that mm -hmm. comes from mm -hmm. a simplistic understanding of biology and what we know about sex determination in humans is that it's incredibly complex and that it's not your chromosomes the chromosomes in the cell that you originated from do not determine whether you will have for example you, you may have non-matching male or female mm -hmm. primary or secondary sexual characteristics that don't match those chromosomes. And that, that's well understood in biology. So when you say that, what does that mean? So it's, it's reasonably common, and we understand how it happens, to be chromosomally XY. And there is a, a phenomenon called androgen insensitivity mm -hmm. syndrome. So what initiates male development is sensitivity to hormone testosterone produced in the developing embryo. And there are many examples of women, and I call them women, because um, as a biologist, because they have uh, female primary and secondary sexual characteristics. Okay. And um, so there's been an uncoupling because it's hormones acting upon, it's sensitizing the body to hormones acting upon the cells. It's not predetermined. And um, so I think it's just simplistic to view that, well, female hormones make you attracted mm -hmm. to men, hence your anecdote. And um, so I really think this paper that was just published that showed that biologists can't say, oh, that's a male brain, that's mm -hmm. a female brain, might really help that. I think that's fascinating because I've watched all, well, I'm obsessed with watching things about brain activity, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I've seen shows where they'll say, you know, here's how a female brain operates it uses more women that biologically female critters use more <laughs> of their brain at once okay um, and have a stronger connection between left and right hemispheres <laughs> but male brained critters have use let fewer parts of their brain but in more depth mm -hmm. at once <laughs> and so it's interesting to then say 
but that's not it's not identifiably it so right yeah. and i'm always so suspicious mm-hmm. of things like that because it's part of it is thinking about well how do the scientists involved in that study classify what they're referring to as a male brain or female brain or like why well, are they looking trying at these to group particular them, things but then the, the they're just trying to group like, them they're not trying why to identify those, a thing but why those groupings in that particular way um and so i'm always just slightly suspicious of why why are they looking at these particular things versus other things and just at the very depth the very sort of basic question of categorization and how that particular knowledge is being constructed and formed so what's happening in all of these things to and maybe, then written about and published right and, right. and right. it's not to say that you mm-hmm. know people go into scientific studies um, with a very sort of pronounced bias but i think it's important that everyone is biased there's always a bias connected in some ways at least in terms of sort of how we study that because you're part of the culture in which you exist right and so not assuming that. that biology has kind of a, a concrete foundational access to pure knowledge that somehow the humanities which i'm trained in doesn't so in humanities right. the assumption that oh it's a soft discipline that we're all just sort of like these touchy-feely people who kumbaya, you know, singers, kumbaya yeah. la, 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 sort of thing and so it, it kind of goes back to the question of the relationship between gender sex and sexuality is the two for me at least i think the two main problems are one that we assume that they're stable and that they all line up in a particular way and two that they all line up in a particular dimorphic male female heterosexual pattern and right. so i think if we understand that it's not solely trans individuals who experience their gender along a spectrum oh, everybody no. experiences their gender and their sex and I, their sexuality i think that's just becomes kind of the metonym for the larger category of of right. the spectrum because right. this is a someone like Caitlyn Jenner, you look at this person and you say, okay, well, this is, that's an example, Mm -hmm. right, that people can point to. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's hard to understand, I think, for a lot of people that your gender is on a spectrum or that your sexuality is on a spectrum or that even your sex is on a spectrum. And that they're all contextually constituted, that your gender and your sex and your sexuality will shift according to space and time. Um, And how I show up as a gendered being is vastly different in the classroom than when I'm at home with my partner or at home with my family. And so even that, those are gender shifts. And even one sense of one. It's a performative thing too. Right, exactly. It's constituted by the people in which you're surrounded. And sex is similar Mm -hmm. too. Who I am as a biological female is profoundly different than what I was at 16. Yeah, I think Um, you're highlighting the complexity of mm -hmm. biology. And I tell my students this all the time. The more you learn in biology, the less you should know. Great. Yep. That's, That's yep. what I tell you. You should feel deeply unsettled. <laughs> you should yep. feel deeply yep. upset. And I'm I'm going to pick a field outside of my area of expertise. I am not a neurobiologist. I have no training in neuroscience. I'm a plant biologist, really, by training. I'm a plant geneticist. Mm-hmm. But um, to me, neurobiology is the perfect example mm-hmm. of that. It is so complex. And yeah, and yeah. I mean, what you're highlighting for me is the depths and complexity of what is going Mm -hmm. on and how, yeah. And, you know, you raise nature versus nurture, Amy. Well, now we know that, like, your environment makes physical changes to your DNA. Yeah. And so. Yes. And so. Yeah, it's never, it's not one or the other. And even the question assumes that That's not stable. So why is the category yeah. Stable. Yeah. It's so funny that you talk about you're telling your biology students that they should be more unsettled after they get through Absolutely. their courses. I always tell my students that my hope for them is when they walk across the stage of commencement is that they are 
deeply aware of their profound ignorance of the exactly. world. Exactly. Um, right. That's the best thing that their college education can provide them with because they'll always be curious. They'll always want to sure. know more. They'll always investigate more. They'll always do the things that we want them more thoughtful inquiry, not answers. Right. And, and be yeah. in awe. And then every yeah. now and then just take a moment to be in awe of yeah. it all. Yeah. yeah. It's wild. We've kind of gotten into this, my next sort of prompt on this, which is the fluidity of this c category of mm -hmm. gender, that it's a spectrum, that it's a, a, Adrian Rich calls it a continuum, right? The poet, uh, Adrian Rich calls it a continuum. And I think, you know, like sexuality, there are a variety of presentations mm -hmm. and representations of gender, but some of those are more acceptable mm -hmm. than others. What do you think about that? Give me I mean, an example. Ac acceptability, I think. Well, I'm thinking about sort of acceptability politics. Like it is okay for me. No one can see what I'm wearing because I'm on a podcast. But it's okay for me to be dressed the way that I'm dressed. So just take my word for it. I'm dressed in a relatively feminine way. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of more okay for me to present if we use this hanger mechanism that my, here's my body is my sex and my clothes that I'm adorning myself with, the style, the sort of identity that I'm mm -hmm. presenting today as this gendered person is largely an acceptable right. presentation. Yep. And if you saw pictures of me, it would be a largely acceptable representation. Yep. But there are other people who perform gender in ways that are sort of unsettling to some. Mm -hmm. Can and, I bring up the park rangers? Yes, please bring up the park <laughs> rangers. When I I am when I it's first a full started circle moment. it is a full circle moment. When I first started spending time in the United States and in the national parks, mm -hmm. particularly in our most wonderful doorstep, Mount Rainier National mm -hmm. Park. Right. Park rangers in the United States wear like on gender clothing. The males mm -hmm. and females wear the same wear uniform. The same. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna be honest and say I was really struck I was struck by that. <laughs> now I'm used to it. But struck I'm in a totally good way. Fine. Or struck in struck a struck in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. And when I get that job, I'm totally fine with the outfit. <laughs> I just want to say, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that we're going yeah. on record as saying that you will yeah. be okay. Yeah. For, I think yeah, it's some, yours, that's uh, a perfect example of what you're talking about. Isn't it is. It? Am I understanding you? Yeah. Okay. But what's interesting about even the idea that those uniforms are gender neutral is that they are they're fashioned in such a way that it's okay for women to wear them, whereas if the gen, if we had park rangers wearing skirts. Isn't um, that the truth? Right. That, that, that kilt that would, would not, not be the same. Right, exactly. You know, my husband thing. And has so a even when we kilt. think of things that are gender neutral, they're almost of course always. He does. <laughs> he does, yeah. Hiking quilt. Well, you know, it's actually hiking quilt. a huge problem. Right. He has a hiking kilt. And yeah. when he got it, when it arrived, my daughter said, Well, Dad, it's a good thing you like to hike alone. <laughs> he really he really digs the hiking kilt. Yeah. And I'm sure it's really comfortable. Yeah, it yeah. gets rid of a lot of chafing problems. Right. And it, things can breathe yeah. and hang. And yeah, because right. he, I mean, he hikes for like 20 hours yeah. at a time, but he owns a hiking kilt. Right. But he's not comfortable wearing it with the family because his hmm. daughter made fun of made him. Made fun of him. Right. Yeah. So right. even the things and that I'm we assume to be. And I'm uncomfortable with it too, a little bit. It's Interesting. Not bad. So it's good to own up to your oh, biases. Yeah. And it's your... good to own up to your biases. But yeah. that's that's what I'm saying is that we're even sort of squidgy about our own. 
yeah. partner who we know is a lovely human and is wearing this kilt and but yeah. it, that's still it's like oh but you're right oh dear so, yeah. you're wearing the kilt yeah so you'd never see what we think of as gender neutral clothing be coded as feminine so even gender neutral things right. that are often assumed to be gender neutral are often coded as you know masculine but maybe not hyper extremely masculine um so something that, that it would still be okay for right your average wear. dude right. yeah. it's exactly. uni and it's unidirectional yep. that's yep. not fair it's yep. not fair no, mm -mm. no it's not fair true. that richard can't do my rainier in his kilt and true. i can but if, he I should want. take a series of photos climbing up and around paradise in his kilt and just do a sort just of a social it. media campaign yeah. Yeah. okay we, this well, is what a hiking kilt looks like i can do that yeah. i mean it's very they're very well designed yeah and i'm sure they yeah. are <laughs> yeah i mean and they're expensive too these are not like yeah yeah, it's they're like, made by Mountain Hardware. Yeah, Aria needs to get a line of them. Not your run-of-the-mill kilt. Yeah. They're yeah. Mountain Hardware. That's like designer hiking gear. You know? Oh, it is. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, I'll, I'm going to work on that. I'm just thinking. I mean, we're talking about this a little bit. That, in terms of gender presentation and representation in my field, when we look at, um, for instance, media representations mm -hmm. of gender. I think that there, I think that there is a wider variety of presentations of gender that are acceptable for women in some ways than Absolutely. there are for men. Yep. I mean, for instance, Absolutely. this park ranger outfit, so. right? Yeah. Um, there are, it's, it's a very limited set of options. Right. I think that men have in terms of expressing a gender identity. Right. And you know, Amy, I know like you, so you've raised children mm -hmm. of both genders. Mm -hmm. I only have girls, mm -hmm. but I, I mean, that must be interesting too. I mean, what do you do when you have True. the, when you have the pink Patagonia snowsuit or ski gear? I mean, do you have to ask yourself, I mean, do you, how do you feel about putting that in your boy? It's, it's a problem. It is. And it, I check myself a lot because when we had when we found out we were having a girl the first time, um, I very deliberately bought, and I'm going to use the word gender neutral, even though I realize how problematic that is, I bought underwater stuff, like stuff mm -hmm. with fish on it. Everything had fish. Right. So like yeah. her bouncy seat had fish and her sheets had fish and, you know, it was sort of marine things decorating the walls and, you know, the room was sort of turquoise, whatever. Oh, very under the sea. It's yeah. very under the sea. Yeah, nice. <laughs> because I thought, okay, well, if we have another girl, it would this would still be fine. Yeah. But if we have a boy, it would also be fine. Yeah. And then I'm thinking to myself, as I'm doing this, that is so stupid that you are thinking this. But on the other hand, I also don't want to paint her room pink and right. just make a whole bunch of assumptions that this kid is going to desperately love everything you know, she's going to be like right. into Barbie and yeah. I don't know, everything pink feminine, and everything super female, feminine yeah. mm -hmm. just because she's female. So it is this Halloween costume thing is sort of vexing. Mm -hmm. When she was two, she wanted desperately to be a firefighter. That's mm -hmm. what she kept saying that she wanted to do when she grew up. I love it. So I wanted to have a firefighter themed birthday party for mm -hmm. her. Well, I mean, even on the Google, there mm -hmm. is almost nothing that is not overtly boy oriented about firefighter party wow. invitations, balloons, everything yep. features a boy. It's like it's his it's his birthday. It's always him, 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 him. Yep. 
It says so much about expectations and norms. Even and, though I know female firefighters, yeah. that's mm-hmm. not. Yeah, they exist. They exist yeah. Yeah. in decent numbers. Yes, yeah. they do. It's such I, a prescription. Do. Those the things that we sort of take for granted in terms of our, you know, when you think about decorations for a child's birthday party. They're not simply things that exist universally they're prescriptions for behavior and their norms and yeah it, and it communicates that a violation of those norms is somehow either invisible because it doesn't exist or not acceptable um, and that's communicated through the absence of anything that would you know embrace a female-bodied person serving as a fire person right um, and well yeah. even changing our language like to police officer and firefighter and those right. kinds of things from Lots of books are policemen, firemen, you know, those kinds of things. Um, And I, you know, I, even though I tried to make choices that I thought were in the best interest of my kids, I also understand that my kids are going to be read by the world in certain ways. And I don't want to impose (laughs) my (laughs) feminism or my politics or my notion of gender on top of a six-year-old or a nine-year-old who doesn't know what to do with that. Yeah, you don't want to see. Yeah, I mean, you know they're going to go to school and they're going to be bullied. Yeah. Right. It's terrible. But it is, I mean, but you do provide, I'm sure you provide conversations with them about why you can't find certain things for a party or what is available for Halloween costumes and things like that. So I think that's probably not being a parent except for cats. Um, my little fur babies. Um, I can't speak to this, but it, I think it's like education. It's providing them with a conversation and the right. tools to kind of critically question what is and not accepting it as universal or and as better simply modeling. inherent. Modeling. Modeling. Yeah. Modeling mm-hmm. that, yeah. You know, you know, just because I'm the female, I can carry X or, yeah. Yeah. You know. And questioning yeah. those things that are simply presented as what is. No, I think I think all of that's absolutely true. But it's something that even people like me, <laughs> people in this room who have commitment mm-hmm. to a set of politics have trouble with. Yeah. Because the default is a lot easier. Yeah. Yep. But isn't it odd that it's not difficult for me to send my daughter to first grade or kindergarten in some male cocky pants, mm-hmm. but it would be more difficult for me to send my son in a pink poofy, yep. poofy jacket with Barbie on it or something. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Oh, I think, and I think that's absolutely true because, mm-hmm. you know, again, my kids go to a school with uniforms and girls could wear the navy pants and yep. the white shirt. That's fine. But boys are not wearing the kick plaid jumper. Yeah, yeah exactly. Which recenters the masculine as normal as correct and it makes sense that someone who's female-bodied would want to um sort of be more masculine because there's power there there's agency there's mm-hmm. values of courage and strength and excellence attached to that whereas much more difficult for people to think about someone who's male-bodied wanting to adopt those things that are attached to femininity because it's devalued in our culture so why would you want to be aligned with something that's it's terrible to be right like a girl weak right? Right. And isn't it Mm -hmm. interesting, like some of the more subtle clothing differences, like lack of zippered pockets. (laughs) Have you ever noted that? Like deep pockets, zippered pockets. It's like if you're looking for good hiking shirts, it's like functionality. Apparently only men need their clothes to be functional. No, because apparently you're going to have to carry a purse while hiking. We need to look pretty while doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I I gave a TED Talk in March and I wore a dress and um, the microphone has to attach to the outside of the clothing and it's built essentially to attach to a belt mm-hmm. loop oh, or right. the top of yep. um, trousers and not right. to 
address. So yeah. it was a little bit of a scramble to figure out how this thing wasn't going to result in a wardrobe malfunction yep. Isn't that uh, for me. And even that mic assumes that it's going to be attached to a male person. Right. That's I what mean, I mean. Like even the, the, I mean, it just infuses the technology everything in is, our lives in this sense. Yeah, I've run into that. Profound. I run into that emceeing at a Christmas celebration here at PLU. Yes. And like somebody said, oh, sorry, we didn't tell you. You would might have been better to wear pants. Mm-hmm. And, even freaking mics privilege the masculine. <laughs> what the hell? I know. Probably because yeah. more dudes make mics. Or well, and something. more dudes should speak. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the last. You don't want to attach a mic to a woman. So. <laughs> Who would want to do that? And that sort of gets me into the last one, which is a question on how do you or do you challenge or trouble or try to unsettle notions of gender. I mean, we talked about modeling Mm -hmm. different kinds of gender. There are three women sitting in here talking about this, and Mm -hmm. questions of gender are often discussed by women. I'm interested if you see ways that people are unsettling that those categories or the assumptions. It's so important, and Mm -hmm. it's and it's so hard. Raising daughters, I feel like it's Mm -hmm. a huge, huge responsibility. It is. One thing that I feel very blessed by is the amazing women that hang out with my kids. Um, Strong, physically active, mentally strong women. And so the best I feel I can do for them is encourage those kind of relationships. And I am so grateful to friends who have taken them climbing, told them they can Mm. see beyond their fears, that's kind of my strategy. Mm-hmm. It is such a hard job. Though. It is. All ideas welcome. Yeah, Jennifer. I think yeah. Yeah, I'm <laughs> good luck with that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think in terms of people who are doing it well, I have to say there are some trans-identified students here at PLU whose bravery and courage at navigating our space, which I think in general people would assume is a safe space for students of all varieties. But that, again, I think the assumption is rests on uh, some, some false notions. They're doing it well. And I think that not assuming that gender is something that's stable or that your sex is stable or that these things just are, that they're all prescribed in the service of various power dynamics and that you are not your gender or your sex. You're all kinds of different things. And so kind of unmooring the idea that our sex and our gender and our sexuality even define our essence, because even that itself is a problem, a prescription right. um, that is not necessarily innate, but that we are what we do. We are our actions and our values. We are not a set of penis and vagina and whatever walking around. Those are just things. Those are little bits that get cut off or right. get taken out or whatever. Those don't define our essence and sort of like kind of get o- getting over a little bit the idea that those things define our very being. That said, I acknowledge that I'm saying this as a cisgendered person who's always felt comfortable in right. my sex and my gender and present in a fairly feminine way. And that even that is a, the ability to sort of say that is couched in right. a kind of privilege or a kind I'm of so, experience and orientation. Yeah. So I'm so impressed to hear those stories. Just our students are so young. Yeah. I, you know, now that my oldest child will be, she's a senior in high school, I see how young our students are. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's like when I hear... And to be navigating that. To be yeah, navigating to navigate that. that. And, like, yeah. when people 
imagine that that is something you would choose to do just for the heck of it. Right, that it's a fad. It's just I've makes heard people me, say it's that. Just like, it's, oh, somehow these kids are doing this because it's a fad and it's cool. And I'm There's like, a million are you fads. out of your mind? That I can't like, wrap my head around uh, that. No, and like you, outrageous. Jennifer, I realize that, you know, I'm coming from, you know, mm-hmm. a very comfortable position yeah. myself. But it's just heartening for me to hear that there are, you know, students around campus who are embracing that and dealing with that. They're, those are strong people. I'd like my yeah. kids to be around those people. Yeah. yeah. I think also the opportunity in our classrooms to talk about how these categories are socially constructed. And I know that there are a variety of ways that we can do that on campus and then thinking about in our own lives outside of there, how you right. how you can do that. Any last words on this word? My thought is I'm just feeling lucky that we have an opportunity to to learn from each other Mm -hmm. and to sort of influence people and be in an environment where um, people want to learn. I'm just feeling kind of lucky after this conversation, actually. Me too. Yeah, Yeah, I would echo that too. And I think, I mean, I don't know if it's a last word, but it's like always question it all. Question it all. Like, and, you know, just take people as people, not as a penis and a vagina or whatever, um, that they're people. That's right. At the end of the day. Um, Biologists don't understand it. There's a good last word. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much for being here. Thank, Thank you. you. That escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. And that's all I have to say about that. I learned something today. We're all officially kicked out of school. See you around. Yeah, see you.